0: Really, for me, I just stood there and thought, oh, my goodness, this feels so comfortable because everyone is coming together on this one project. Everyone's great at what they do. Everyone understands the direction they're going. Everyone gets stuck in and does the job and does it well and collaborates well. And then at the end of the production, they'll all get posted to different places and work on different projects. And maybe they'll be back on the same show in 10 years time and reminisce about the good old days. And that is exactly what we do in defense. It's really just this amazing moment of, oh, this is this is comfortable and this feels this feels like a really good fit.
1: Welcome to the Frontline to Boardroom podcast, where we share the wisdom, knowledge, and experience of leaders who've served in the military and then taken those hard-won leadership lessons into the corporate world. Hi, I'm your host, Martin Brooker. Looking forward to sharing with you the stories of their lived experiences warts and all, from leading men and women in harm's way all the way to the corporate boardroom and beyond. Let's get started. Our guest today is Claire Baldwin, who served for 10 years in the Royal Australian Navy as a maritime warfare officer, with operational service in the Middle East, sea service, training roles at the Royal Australian Naval College, the Royal Australian Navy Recruit School, as well as key start positions in the Office of the Command Australian Fleet. Claire shares some real gems from her experience in the Navy. I met Claire through the Navy's Active Reserve and it was her training and work as an actor that I really wanted to talk about. You see, Claire's trained at the National Institute of Dramatic Art, the Victorian College of the Arts, the Australian Shakespeare Company, the Prague Shakespeare Company and the Film and Television Studio International. Starred on a stage in theatre as well as a number of roles on the screen, including roles in Wentworth Season 8, Halifax Retribution and The Secret She Keeps Season 2. What I love was our deep dive into what acting can teach us about leadership. Let's get right in. Claire Baldwin, welcome to the Frontline to Boardroom podcast. Great to have you on the show.
0: Yeah, thanks, Martin. Thank you for having me.
1: Yeah, awesome. So the question I always ask up front is, how did you end up joining the service, in your case, the Royal Australian Navy?
0: Look, an excellent question, and I get asked it fairly often. And my usual tongue-in-cheek answer is, oh, well, it was a good idea at the time. Um, But it's turned out, in hindsight, to be an excellent idea because it really has supported a whole bunch of professional endeavours that I've had. In Mm. terms of how I kind of got there to begin with, I'll I'll go back a fair way. My older brother, who's 15 years older than me, joined the Navy when I was two. And so I had this romanticised idea about what the Navy was and what naval service was about. Um, He joined as a stoker and then became a PTI. Uh, and he used to go away on these amazing trips and come home with all sorts of presents for me. And as a little kid, I just thought that was great and that the Navy no. just represented travel and gifts. And I was like, this is this is interesting. Um, when he became a PTI, because um, I'm from the Mornington Peninsula down where HMAS Cerberus is. And so he was posted there for a while and I would go and spend time with him on school holidays and he'd have me doing laps in the Cerberus pool. And I remember thinking, I'm not a recruit, bro. Come on, settle down. Um, but I had spent a lot of time around the base and I suppose that for me, the Navy was very real from a very young age. And I know I've met a lot of people who don't even know we have a Navy, let alone, you know, growing up around it. Uh, so it was always there, but it was never something I was interested in pursuing as a kid. Um, in high school, I was heavily into acting and heavily into drama and knew I wanted to be an actor. And that was, that was kind of the ambition for me. And that was the dream. And then we had a bunch of recruiters from Defence Force Recruiting come to school and do the obligatory, you know, this is the Defence Force and this is what you can do. And here's the ad for entry scheme. And I thought to myself, gee, that sounds pretty interesting. And, you know, I have good fond memories of of Navy. So maybe I'll look into that a bit more. I got home that afternoon and said to mum, hey, mum, I'm, I'm kind of thinking about going to ADFA and, and joining the Navy. And literally, this is my recollection anyway, she threw the phone at me and said, call them. Call them now. Because <laughs> <What? laughs> for her, I mean, having an actor for a child was, was you know, not yeah. as, you know, normal and mainstream and safe, certainly as uh-huh. having having a, yeah. another child in the Navy. Uh, so, so I did call them. Uh, but- and then I, I went through that process through high school about, you know, when you're thinking, oh, what do I want to do with my life? And I pursued a whole bunch of drama courses. Applied for a whole bunch of drama courses. Applied to the navy, and applied for animal science. And uh, so, acting and, and animals are my my loves and my passions. Um, but I had this whole navy thing as well. And uh, in Year Twelve, when I was when I was eighteen, and waiting for my end of VCE scores to come through, and and waiting for letters of offer and all sorts of things, I thought to myself, well, if the navy offers me a position, that's what I'll do, because I'll sign up for nine years because that was that was the contract with the ad for entry, which is a lot when you're 18. Yeah. Um, And then if I still want to act at the end of my nine-year contract, I'll be 27, still young, and I'll oh. have something to my name. I'll have life experience. I will have traveled, leadership and management experience, a degree, and I will have something to fall back on if I need it because the world of arts is notoriously fickle and difficult um, and complex and... You know, lack of security and stability. So for me, at eighteen, I thought well, that that's that's that sounds like a sensible decision. I was pretty sickeningly, sickeningly sensible as a teenager. Uh, anyway, so Navy offered me a position, and I said, "Great, I'll accept it." And so, finished high school, and a couple of months later, I was on a plane and on a bus off to HMS Croswell to do my officer training. Yeah, um, yeah. So that was that was the journey.
1: Mm. So a few years at uh, Naval College and the Defence Academy, you graduate and and as a Maritime Warfare Officer. What does that job involve?
0: Well, the way it was sold to me at Defence Force Recruiting was, uh, you know, Seaman Officers as they were known at the time, but Maritime Warfare Officers drive the ship, and that was certainly sounded much more exciting than any of the other options they they presented to me. Uh, And I was to learn, as as we all do after we get through recruiting, that there's a lot more to it than that. Um, (laughs) But essentially, you know, you're the eyes and the ears of the captain on the bridge. Uh, you run the daily routine when you're on watch. um Ooh. that can be everything from you know just normal sailing from A to B or it can be any kinds of exercises and damage control exercises and um all sorts of things. basically, you're the go-to person and you're making it all happen um, uh, and then a short, you know there's a, there's a range of different things you can do in the world of um warfare navigation capability, like it's it's a it's a broad, it's a yeah. broad role, but certainly the the <laughs> excitement of of having the responsibility of running the show, essentially, when you're on the bridge, really appealed to me. Yeah. Um, yeah. That level of accountability and responsibility and, and pressure, I, yeah. I really enjoyed.
1: Yeah. You talked about your brother. Who were the other leadership heroes and influences that you had, you know, early in life, uh, either before or after you joined?
0: Look, thinking about th- before I joined, I wouldn't have really looked at anyone in terms of a leadership influence. I think I had a lot of great character influences and character role models mm-hmm. um, but amusingly enough I think I got most of yeah. my kind of command and leadership influence from watching shows like Xena Warrior Princess um, and those people that know me will will nod at that and go yes I can see yeah. that. and you know I, I read books like the Famous Five and the Secret Seven and and so you know the, the leadership for me was always associated with adventure yeah. and I think that that is what I part of what I enjoy about yeah. it. Um, but I am a bit of an excitement junkie and do love a good adventure. Yeah, um, I've got many siblings, all of which are a lot older than me. So I had a lot of interesting experiences as a, as a kid. Really? Um, and so I, I continue to seek those now as an adult. In terms of leadership influences, once I joined the Navy, I've been exceptionally fortunate to work with some incredible leaders and incredible human beings. Right. Um, but two that really stand out for me, one is um, Tim Barrett. Uh-huh. So um, I worked for him when he was commander of the Australian fleet. I was his flag lieutenant okay. for 15 months. What I really love about Tim still do <laughs> is his his generosity, his character. He just has an incredible character. He's an absolute gentleman, uh-huh. but also his sense of humor. <laughs> and in the 15 months that I worked for him, we laughed a lot and we had like in jokes um, and we, I think, enjoyed each other's company. Which mm-hmm. made a huge difference when you're kind of living the admiral's life as mm-hmm. a flag lieutenant. But another thing I really loved about him is the way he appreciated his staff, and he demonstrated it often. Yeah. And so we all pulled together and worked so hard because we knew he appreciated it. Mm-hmm. Um. And he and he told us as much, and that was that was always wonderful. But he always just he always just made situations fun, and he was very very respectful and appreciative of us. And mm. um, the other one is is when I deployed to the Middle East. I was a staff officer to the deputy commander of the joint task force, okay. and he was a, an Air Force one star. Okay. And um, he he and I we we also got along like a house on fire. I don't think I've laughed as hard ever in my life as I did on that deployment, which is an odd thing. But it, it was we we laughed a lot, and humor is one of my values, and so that that really worked for me. Yeah. Um, but one of the amazing things about that particular job was that. You know, when when if Push came to shove and the proverbial really hit the fan, I was expected to take a bullet for this human because uh-huh. I was his aide, um, uh-huh. and that was you know that was I'm the last line of defence. I really realised that he was a leader I really respected when I felt happy to do that, uh-huh. and I felt comfortable to say, you know what, I would willingly take a bullet for that human being
1: uh-huh.
0: rather than feeling just like oh, I probably you know. Wouldn't <laughs> would duck and run away. It's similar to Tim, very similar, great character, very appreciative, um, great sense of fun, genuine human being, cared about his staff. And, yeah, I'm pleased to say I'm, I'm friends with both of them still. Yeah. And Tim Barrett, when he was CN, would my wedding. Oh, wow. Um, which was a really novel experience. Wow. Um, so, yeah, so that was a bit of fun. He took great pleasure in taking the piss out of me <laughs> in front of all my and <laughs> friends, as you would.
1: I know, and Tim, uh, as long as I was in the Navy, and uh, he was there two years ahead of me at the Naval College, and uh, yes, he absolutely has an amazing sense of humour. Mm. Um, and uh, for some of the roles he's had, he probably needed it. But it, uh, but all of that points to, I guess, um, in leadership is that, that ability to connect with other humans and to be real. Mm.
0: Yes, absolutely. Connection yeah. is is a perfect word. Yeah. um regardless of the background or the experiences or whatever the case may be there was always a point of connection where you could relate well, or where they they both of them both Tim and Noel um could relate to the people they were working with which yeah. makes you feel seen and heard and important yeah. which is what we we crave as human beings
1: yeah it's also about not coming from a place of ego you know yeah. not making it about all about you it's actually being prepared to connect with those humans and uh from a perspective of I generally want to connect here I, I you know this is not about me this is this is a, about our how to what kind of relationship can we have together yeah absolutely mm. yeah so operational experience in the uh, in the middle East um, and uh what were some of the other highlights and where did you learn really what leadership meant for your own perspective how did you you know obviously you had those influences of others but what moments did you have for yourself there as an officer watch and, and in other roles that really shaped and formed your own leadership philosophy?
0: Oh, look, I don't think we've got that long, Martin. Right. There, <laughs> there are lots, and and yeah. the more I kind of reflect on it, the more that pop up and just say, oh my goodness, do you remember that? Yeah. Um, you know, some really crucible moments, and and <laughs> some moments that seemed trivial or or um like nothing at the time, but oh. down the track they they become important. Yeah. Um, you know, I remember. I, I could I could drive a warship before I could drive a car, oh wow. um, Which is always a fun fun mm. little anecdote to tell people. Uh, my first ship was HMS Success, and oh, really? um, I was posted to her as a Phase Two trainee, so um, trainee uh, warfare officer, to do my first trip to sea and learn about how things at sea work and do some basic navigation and and um, get a hang of having the con as you call it. Yeah. And uh, you know I was I was eighteen, yeah. and I had these men and women who'd been in the Navy longer than i would be alive calling me ma'am. Yeah. And in my head, I thought, okay, that's because I'm wearing midshipman rank slides and that's how the rank system works, but I still need to earn that. Right. That's not, you know, a, a right. It's it's a privilege. And I didn't want to be the kind of person that made them want to call me that begrudgingly, if, yeah. if that kind of makes sense. You know, I wanted to be worthy of- Having the rank of midshipman what and mean? and leading men and women, you know who were who were so much more experienced than me, and to realise too that names and titles and ranks don't equate to experience, to subject matter expertise, um, to having the best idea at the time, uh, to being the person with the right answer. Yeah. So, for me, that was under learning to understand when I needed to step up and be the officer of the watch or the person in charge in that moment and when I needed to defer to the subject matter experts or or the team to say, um, okay, well, I don't know. What do you think? Yeah. Um, so, you know, there were a few moments like that as I progressed up through through ranks and through experience mm. um, and, you know, learning to get the best out of out of the team and give them all a go, but then being the person that's willing to step up and take charge when it's needed. Yeah,
1: we know it doesn't go well all the time. Was there was there a moment where you go look back and you know where you go? Actually, that was that was a decisive point where I learned this lesson or that lesson.
0: Uh, again, I think this is a, a hindsight thing. But um, in 2014, I, w- I had applied to be a do at Adfa. Adfa, <laughs> and I, w- I wanted to go back there. And uh, you know, by that point, I'd been a staff officer. Um, to Comoros, I'd been the flag lieutenant. I'd been a staff officer overseas. I'd been on operational deployment. I thought, you know, I've done a, a range of things in my career so far, and I'd love to go and impart some of that and and use that to to mentor junior officers. And so, you know, I was really looking forward to that. And you know, I had um, I had Tim's endorsement for that. Exo uh, Adfa was very keen to have me there as well. Um, and then when it came to dealing with uh, NPCMA as it was at the time, the career management agency for Navy, um, basically five people had applied for four positions sure. at ADFA. And there was a position for divisional officer recruit school that no one was a volunteer for. Um, but the writing was on the wall that, that one of these five would, would have to go to recruit school. Um, and I was essentially told, look, you're the most releasable, therefore it's likely that you'll go. We had to go through a whole hurt statement process and, and you know state reasons why we should Post to Canberra instead of Cerberus. And it became very clear to me very quickly the way I interpreted that, you know, being the most releasable, is you're single. Single with no dependence. Uh So I had no personal extenuating reasons to be posted to the Canberra region.
1: Uh
0: Um, Part of the hurt statement, you know, I had to state the reasons why I thought I should be posted there beyond someone else. And my reasons were around, well, for me, I want to do the job. It's not geographical convenience. I think I have a lot to offer the position. I don't have any dependents, so my time and energy will be completely for my midshipmen and officer cadets. Um, Anyway, the the determination came back down. No, you're going to recruit school. And uh, for me, that was was a really hard moment. I mean, we don't always get what we want, and so it Mm -hmm. wasn't kind of a spoiled brat throwing my toys out of the cot moment. For me, I felt as though instead of... Looking at okay, well, who's going to be the best person for the job to train our future suite of leaders? Oh, yeah. It was more who's got the most compelling reason to be posted to Canberra. Yes, um, and that's how I viewed it at the time. So I got posted to recruit school, and I was very fortunate that the CEO of recruit school at the time, um, someone I'd worked with in in um, fleet commander's office, we got along really, really well. He was very keen to have me. I had an amazing team of sailors in my division. I had a lot of autonomy. But for me I didn't get that opportunity to mentor junior officers the way I wanted to. <laughs> if I saw a recruit generally they, they were they were in trouble. Yeah. Um so you know the the leading seamen had the roles of mentors as is fitting at recruit school. Uh-huh. Um but I didn't get to kind of scratch that itch. Uh-huh. Um and the eight months I spent at recruit school um it was actually really tough on my mental and physical well-being and I look back now and think oh, actually that was a really dark time for oh. me mental health wise. I was very, very unhappy, and I think that my loyalty to the organisation—and that's my words entirely—was broken oh, by yeah. that experience because I felt I'd been discriminated against for being single, essentially. Yeah. And you know, part of being single was well, I've just come back from deployment, and I've been working for an admiral. I haven't had a lot of time to have a relationship, so I kind of felt, you know, there was there was an element of okay, well, that's a bit. I, I feel a bit betrayed. <laughs>
1: um,
0: and for me, that that period at, at Recruit school was very, like I said, very tough, Um, and I ended up resigning on the back of that. And that was the only way I could see to get out of that dark um, state that I was in. Um, And when I reflect on that now, I see that you know being at recruit school was an amazing opportunity. And like I said, I had an amazing team working for me and we had a really good group of people. Um, And the job itself is a rewarding one, but I don't think I was leading myself well yeah at that time, and therefore couldn't lead my team as well as I would would have wanted to, yeah and so that 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 for me is that lesson in in self leadership perspective is one of my core values, and having right. a positive mindset and is very, very important to me, and I really struggled with that. I really struggled to maintain it at the time, so I wasn't at my best, I wasn't leading my best, mm. which meant I didn't think I was doing my best for no. my team, yeah.
1: It's um, it's challenging, isn't it, to look in the mirror when you sort of realise that you've your own self leadership has got you to a place that actually it's not attractive to you or to other people, and you you think you've got the facade up that's kind of you know presenting it's all good, but people see through that, don't they?
0: Yeah, they they do, they really do. Um, and you know, there's I guess there's a fine line there between between being vulnerable Mm -hmm. and open. And then oversharing, I suppose, and um, and you know managing your own your own self.
1: Yeah, and in that environment, there's um, it's often hard to um, to open up to that stuff because there's an expectation that you've got it all together as well. Um, Yes,
0: absolutely. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, Yeah, yeah. it's one of the one of the one of the toughest things about leadership being able to lead yourself and (laughs) and 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 walk that that line.
1: Yeah. In hindsight, do you have any thoughts about? What you can do when you find yourself in that place?
0: Uh, For me, yeah, I guess I've learned, um, I've I've learned about myself more, developed (laughs) myself awareness certainly through my experiences with directorate of navy culture and working directly with, or in in terms of leadership and people and culture and understanding the way people work and the way our brains work and getting to know myself more and understanding my own triggers. Uh-huh. Um, and understanding the way I'm going to emotionally respond to something uh-huh. and being kind to myself in those moments
1: uh-huh.
0: um, and reminding myself that an emotional response is automatic. Uh-huh. We can't not have emotions, uh-huh. but we can decide how we respond yeah. in that emotional state. Yeah. So it's, for me, it's been about uh, maturing in my own understanding of, of the way I tick
1: uh-huh.
0: um, and then also understanding when I am triggered, what do I have to do? In that moment yeah. to have a considered response. Yeah. Sometimes it can be as simple as just taking a deep breath and breathing. Mm. Sometimes I've got to go and find one of my cats and just give them a cuddle because that oh, for me geez. is my happy place.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, sometimes I need to go and do a really full-on workout because it's just, you know, I really need to just blow off some steam. Um, yeah. So it's about understanding what I need to do in the moment, what I can do in the moment, Yeah. Um, and then Again, the perspective side of things, what is the bigger picture here? Yeah. Um, what can I control, and what yeah. really matters?
1: in hindsight it, i I sense is that we can't earn, learn that early enough in our careers
0: yes, yeah and, and and thinking about you know what you know that old adage of what advice would you give your younger self or mm. you know anything like that it's you know perspective is a wonderful thing, but in mm. my experience, perspective comes with with experience um and and with with learning and with you know going to the university of hard knocks but, um, and being able to reflect on that and say hmm, well it didn't go quite as well as it maybe could have <laughs> yeah i'll uh, I'll do something different next time and then having the courage to actually do something different and that's mm-hmm. um a, a big part of it i think is is that ability to reflect on on the good times and the bad times Why not? and being able to learn from both yeah
1: um
0: and And then adapt well really? following that rather than sort of trying to ignore it or pretend it didn't happen, or you know celebrate too much the good stuff. Yeah. thinking that that's that's the panacea or of success is when things go well. well, yeah, I and mean, that, that depends on your definition of success, I suppose.
1: Yeah. I actually had the um bit of a sidebar here, but I had the privilege of actually one of the last things I did in the Navy was actually go and be the reviewing officer of a graduation parade at the recruit school.
0: Oh, fabulous. And-
1: and um, it just opened my eyes to the um, energy, the intelligence of of the next generation of officers and sailors that we have joining our defence force right now. We you know you've been around as long as I had. It was like well, I can't go because they still need me. But the reality <laughs> is, you turn up there and you get to hear the perspectives of of your newest recruits there. They've done eleven weeks, they're about to go to the next stage of their training and you hear their questions, you hear their perspective, and you go, Ah, the place is in safe hands.
0: Yeah. This absolutely. organization
1: actually has the ability to generate and regenerate. Um and uh it's actually about the whole, not the a whole and a bunch of individuals coming together to make that whole.
0: Yeah. And and, and their excitement. Yeah, absolutely. Is infectious. I infectious. Lo- I love their enthusiasm for what they're at the adventure that they're about to have. Yeah. Oh, it's really wonderful. Yeah.
1: You make the decision to leave and you take an interesting direction. Let's be <laughs> honest. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> yes. Uh, not the norm, possibly. No. no.
1: You go back to something that you've been passionate about since you were young and high school and and to pursue the career of acting. Tell mm-hmm. us about that. What what have you what did you what was the next step? What did you do? What was it like?
0: Oh, uh, uh, yeah, well I mean Um, When I resigned from full-time service um, the first time, because I've done it a few times now, um, I had no plan. (laughs) I knew I wanted to get into acting and it was time for me to go and stretch those creative muscles because they had laid dormant essentially for 11 years and I really missed having a creative outlet. Um, But I had no plan. I literally rolled out of Cerberus on my last day of full-time service and went home and thought, well, I'm unemployed uh, and I have no plan. And I uh, ended up working in a cellar door um, yeah. not long after that, because uh, yeah. on the Mornington Peninsula, known for its wine. And uh. my husband and I frequented this particular cellar door, and we we, w- I w- we walked in one day, and one of the managers said, hey, I was wondering when you were coming back in, do you want a job? And I said, what? She said, oh, you've just left the Navy, haven't you? I said, oh, yeah. She goes, well, do you want a job? We need people. Yeah. And I said, yes. Thank you. I would love a job. <laughs> And so I started working in a cellar door, which honestly was absolutely delightful because, I mean, we we worked again with great people, delicious wine, but it was, it was, it was rock up at work, give some people a really nice experience when they're tasting wine and then go home and unplug. Yeah. And after 11 years of pretty much high tempo, full on jobs um, at Sea and Ashore, I'd never had that. And so that was really good for me mentally to give me the space to explore, okay, well, what do I want to do next? And um, yeah, so that was the end of 2015. 2016, I thought, okay, well I'm gonna I'm gonna start with education because um, it's credibility is important in the in the creative industries. Um, and you know it's very much okay, well where did you train? Uh, so I did a few I did a a year long part-time course at the Victorian College of the Arts. Um, called the Acting Studio, and for the first <laughs> for the first term of that, we, it was all voice and movement. We didn't pick up a script for the first term. Um, so when I say voice, I mean learning about the voice and learning about um, the, the muscles of the mouth and how you make different sounds. And when I say movement, I mean rolling around on the floor, moving through the space slowly, practicing all these interesting acting techniques that are all about using your body to create certain emotional responses to develop and influence character. And so for me, who'd hitherto only used my body as sort of a vessel for carrying my head around, this was a a brave new world of, goodness me, what am I doing? Um, And uh, it was a massive jump. And I realized, uh, you know, having been a creative person in the military and always being a little out of place and a little quirky, now I was a military person in, in a creative world. And I was still a little out of place and a little quirky, just in the opposite direction. And uh, I remember one of my first uh, acting teachers telling me I was doing a a screen acting course. And um, I just finished this moment in front of the camera. And she looked at me and she said, you wear a lot of armor. And I said, oh. And she said, and the camera sees it. The camera sees all of it. And she said, it's going to be a very long road for you to get rid of it. And she said, I'm not surprised, given your background. But that's gonna be that's gonna be your challenge.
1: Oh.
0: Um and she was a hundred percent correct. And it's been a really long and challenging journey to kind of pull back that armor and, and be vulnerable in the way that, that acting requires. Um oh, yeah. and to to learn about okay, how how I can use my body into in creating character.
1: Oh, yeah.
0: Um, and so that was yeah that was a pretty full-on moment for me. And that was kind of like in one of my very first courses at the start of 2016. I thought, gee, what am I doing? Maybe I'm no good at this classic inner critic moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought, well, no, no, we'll, we'll see what happens. We'll give it a go. So I ended up um, studying at Victorian College of the Arts. I uh, was very fortunate to um, get picked up for a, what's called the Graduate Players Program with the Australian Shakespeare Company. Mm-hmm. And we um, took an adaptation of Twelfth Night, Oh. Over to Prague wow. for the uh, English-speaking Prague Fringe Festival, also. which is a thing. <laughs> um, so we we you know we we trained and rehearsed um, here in Melbourne uh, for a few months before heading over to Prague and performing in this Fringe Festival, uh, which was random and just so much fun. And um, while I was over there, we did a workshop with the Prague Shakespeare Company, uh, which was actually run by by two American expats, and. Um, That was that was just an incredible workshop, and then and and the guy that ran it said, "Oh, you know, we're doing this intensive summer school at the Prague Shakespeare Company if anybody's interested." And I thought, "Oh yes, I'm interested." I rang my my now darling husband and said, "What do you think of this? Considering you know I'm already over here, Um, so my four week trip became a ten week trip, uh, and I stayed on and did this intensive summer school for the in July 2017." And uh, that was an utterly incredible experience because I spent every day for a month doing performing arts or doing um, acting every day in my script, every day thinking about, you know, my character and, and the ensemble performance. And so it was, it was every day you were training, every evening you were rehearsing, and at the end of four weeks, you had to put on a Shakespeare production. Wow. Uh, that's a lot. That's a, no that's a lot to do in for It was definitely intense. And yeah, people from, from all over the shop. Um, we had a couple of Kiwis, myself and another Aussie guy, um, a couple of random others, and mostly Americans. Um, and the play that we did was called The Death of Kings. And it was uh, an adaptation that our, um, oh, our cohort uh, director had, had basically created himself. And he'd taken all eight history plays and put them into one. Yeah. Roller King ninety minute performance, um, so I couldn't even like study in advance for this because it had never been performed outside of his university before. So wow, I couldn't even practice. Um, but uh, yeah, just those, just that consistency. It was kind of like workups for Shakespearean actors, mm. uh, and to do that in Prague, which is a beautiful city, mm. was just a life changing experience. And I came back from that just thinking, yes, this mm. is I've found my place. Mm. Um, and uh, and then I thought, okay, well, theatre, yes, I love it. I've I've done a lot of theatre my whole life. Um, I need to figure out this screen acting thing because you know, I, as a kid, I hated the camera. I used to run and hide. Uh, so I thought, well, I'm, that's not that's not going to go well if I'm ever on set. Yeah. Um, so I was lucky enough to be accepted into uh, a year long full time course with the uh, Film and Television Studio International, which is a private school in Melbourne. And uh, we were in front of the camera every day. Yeah. And then we were watching ourselves back yeah. every week. <laughs> that could and be challenging. So, oh, <laughs> yes. Week one, I was like, oh, my goodness, this is the worst thing in the world. Uh, and by the end of the, the 11 or so months, I was like, okay, yeah, I can, I can watch myself objectively. <laughs> and I can look at, okay, that went well. That was not so good, but I can work on that next time.
1: Mm. And
0: it, that is exactly what I needed at that time. Mm. To understand what the camera sees, um, which is pretty much everything, um, and to understand, you know, my tells. I'm learning my tells a, a lot of the time. What do I do um, subconsciously that actually doesn't serve the story, the character, the scene, whatever the case may be? Um, and you know, that was a really crucial learning curve for me uh, uh, in terms of developing my acting in that way. Yeah, there
1: are so many questions. Oh God! <laughs> I um, I I go back to the first question that came up for me while they were sharing about the commentary you had about armour yeah. and not being vulnerable. And I thought, you know what, like that's part, that's sometimes that's how leaders feel or how people feel when they turn up in some kind of leadership role. In some ways I'm turned up with my armour on to protect me because I'm not sure that I'm going to do this okay, yet I've got to be vulnerable and it's like trying to find a balance of that.
0: Yeah. What did that didn't
1: teach you that actually might help us with that
0: Oh look great question I'll go back to the camera seeing everything but mm. in that way so does the team
1: mm.
0: um, you mm. know the the bullshit radar of your of most human beings is, is very well attuned mm. um, and people can see through um, they can see through fake um, and they can smell fear. And oh. So when you walk in with an armor on and not feeling very confident, um, and you try and hide it, people generally see it. Right. Um, and the, the camera does as well. So having to understand how to be vulnerable in that moment, in a way that serves the story I'm trying to tell, uh-huh. was a really important lesson. Okay. And I guess that you know there, there are a bunch of transferable skills I'll call them from my acting to to my to my Navy world and my, and my leadership journey, the acting side of things, you know, actors are are walking empaths. We are trained to get into another character, um, to understand, um, the motivations of another character, the emotions, what's going to trigger them, um, why they do what they do and, and to understand that without judgment. And we're often told you can't judge your character because if you you judge them, you can't play them believably. Yeah. Um and so you know we're trained to put ourselves literally in someone else's shoes and make that believable.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And so so I carried that over to to the leadership side of things and and being able to apply that level of empathy enables that connection that we were talking about earlier.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, uh one of the other things is listening skills. Mm-hmm. So as actors It's very easy just for one person to say the lines, and then the other person says the lines, and back and forth, and back and forth. And when you watch that performance, Mm -hmm. the audience is asleep. Um, And so, one of the other things we're taught is is to listen, and to really listen, and then respond, rather than just wait for your turn to say something. And I think that 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 depth of listening has certainly permeated, and particularly. With me being a a coach as well, Uh so I I found that my coaching training and my acting training really came together beautifully Mm -hmm. uh, in the in the context of of leadership. Uh Um, generosity is one of the other things. So it's when you are acting with somebody else, people say, oh, really good actors give everything they can to the other actor in the moment. Uh Right. you're not being selfish. You're not saying this is my performance, and and you're just happen. You just happen to be in my scene. It's I'm going to give you everything I possibly can, you know, f- for your for the other person's performance, and it's all in the service of the bigger picture. It's all in the service of the story. What is the story we're trying to tell? And then part of that is who is the audience we're telling the story to, yeah. rather than it's my fifteen minutes of fame. No. I'm the actor, and look look at me go. So that mindset of generosity and how much can I give the other person, in the context of what is the bigger picture, and who are we actually trying to serve,
1: uh-huh.
0: has been really, really useful in a leadership context. Uh-huh. Um, being able to understand my audience, what my audience needs in the moment, and what right. the bigger picture is, what the story is that we're trying to tell, um, trying to tell, uh, and, and you know, just little things like being able to think on your feet. Um, and being able to, like we said earlier, about showing up with armor and, and being nervous. Just being able to understand how to stop and breathe oh. and perform. Yeah, and just perform a role—the role that you need to perform in yeah. the moment—has yeah. has held me in excellent stead. Even before I, yes. even early on in my career, only when I'd only done sort of drama um, as part of high school. But being able to stand on that bridge in a moment where, mm-hmm. you know, things might be going wrong or, or, you know, just this, the, the tempo was high, uh, or I've, i felt unsure of, of what I should do next. Uh-huh. Ha- being able to fall back on that cool, calm and collected command presence, they call it. Yeah. Um, but being able to perform that role, I'm performing the role of, of the officer, mm-hmm. of the watch, and I'm performing the role of the person that knows what's going on. And so I'm just going to perform oh. that as best as I possibly can.
1: Yeah.
0: Um so yeah, that's been super helpful and, and then just being able to get up in front of people and, and, and talk to people yeah. um confidently and sure. in a way that entertains mm. instead of puts people to sleep.
1: Yeah. A couple of things come up. It's like um and and the the thought was that, you know, when we think about acting, for example, you think it's a script, I've got to get it in my head. But what I heard in your sort of your sort of um Thoughts about that was that actually, what you're doing is you're taking head and heart and bringing them together. It's like in the next thing I say, what emotion do I actually need to bring to this? So I'm actually adding to my presence as a leader. You know, I'm whatever I bring to that from my heart and my head is actually integrated. And actually, there's an opportunity in that to, to bring whatever's needed at that moment.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think that, um, you know, anyone can learn a script, really? but to sell the story is yeah. a different thing altogether yeah. and, and, and being able to, to understand the way the human beings communicate and understand right. that the majority of communication is nonverbal. Um, right. and, and, you know, it, it's so, it's such a crucial skill to have. Um, and so if you are trying to convey a message to somebody, you can be deliberate in the tone. Yes, and 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 the way that you say it, and the body yeah. language you have at the time, yeah. um, and all of that is is it you know it can make or break um, oh. a moment with somebody. And and I, when I was a DO at the um, uh, Royal Australian Naval College, yeah. I uh, ran a communications or communicating effectively um, module of training, and, and <laughs> I remember. Uh, I walked in. Oh, I was already in the classroom. The students all walked in and they sat down. They were kind of all just chatting away. And I just stood at the front of the classroom with my arms crossed and my best resting bitch face on. And those people who know me, I've, I've got a very imposing resting bitch face, so I'm told. And I just stood there and looked at them. And I'd scan the room and I'd look at some individual faces and then I'd pace a few steps. I'd stop and I just looked at them until somebody went oh, sorry, ma'am, something, or, oh, sorry, ma'am, uh, we're all here, or whatever the case may be, you know, until yeah. someone got so uncomfortable, like, oh, I need to fix this situation. Um, and then, of, of course, I'd laugh and, and tell them I was joking, and they'd all be really relieved. And then the point was the, the message that you communicate without saying a word.
1: Right.
0: Oh. And I asked them, how would that make you feel? And they said, oh, I was scared. I thought we were in trouble or didn't know what was going on or thought maybe we'd missed something or, you know, we went to bring something and we haven't brought it and now you're you're angry with us. Um, (laughs) And I said, you know, what I'm trying to demonstrate is that when you walk into a room as the leader, people are going to look at you and you convey a message before you even open your mouth. Yes. And the best thing about that is that you can choose (laughs) how you walk into the room. Mm-hmm. And you can be deliberate in the message that you send before you speak. Yes. Um, yeah. And so that was great fun. But I think that's, that's one of the things that I've learned from acting is, is that presence and is. is understanding the messages we communicate and how we can communicate, whether that be through body language or even micro expression.
1: Hello.
0: Um, and how we can use that as leaders to our advantage in the moment with other human beings.
1: It's it's, a, it's that sort of concept of being deliberate, isn't it, and intentional. That you know, and in the busy world that the leaders live in right now, that people listening to the podcast here, you know, we so often sort of are just rushing from one thing to the next. We're not actually thinking about how we're turning up. We're just sort of trying to do the do. Yeah. And there are real opportunities just to sometimes just slow down, stop. And, and sort of almost sort of take notice of of how you turn it up and whatever you need to do to to get yourself into the place where you're actually going to turn up as the leader rather than just somebody who has had a really busy day and hasn't got time for it because that's the other message you'll give when you just rush in
0: yeah absolutely if you're feeling rushed that that's the message you're going to send people is that you don't have time for whatever yeah. moment you're in yeah.
1: You've done quite a bit of um, coaching, facilitation, back into Navy, um, you know, and obviously brought the skills that you've got from sort of your acting career. Um, What what are the things that people need to learn early, do you think, as a a leader, you know, from your perspective?
0: Uh, From my perspective and and my own experience is that the answer is not in your email inbox and it's not on your to-do list. It's in the conversations you have with people and the connections that you make with people. Yeah. Um, and you know, I'm I'm an overachiever and I love a good to-do list, but it can be to my detriment when right. I get when I get bogged down in in the doing and bogged down in the um, in the task at the expense of the people. Right. Um, and it's so as you as you just highlighted, there is so much going on, and we are all so busy rather than focused and productive. We're just busy. Yeah. Um, and it is easier to run our life out of a, an Outlook inbox or off a to-do list than it is to go out and get your hands dirty talking to people and, mm-hmm. and really wrestling with wrestling with, with what's going on for the other yeah. human beings around you. Um, and I think as leaders, that's, that's, a, that's an easy trap to fall into because you are getting stuff done that's important and you might be excellent at admin and governance and people might get their like their leave application signed on time or they might, you know, the, the process might run really smoothly but at the expense of relationship. Mm-hmm. And that's what people will really remember, well, how you made them feel and how you related to them and how you connected with them, not whether or not you got their admin done, well, oh, like early or on time.
1: You um, have clearly drawn on the acting career. It's provided a whole bunch of resources that I... I know you use to your advantage as a leader um, in the, the various roles that you've done since you left full-time service the first time. Um, <laughs> what are the what are the, the other resources that you've found useful along the way in terms of your own development as a leader and, and helping others to step up to leadership?
0: Yeah, so I think that um, books, books are great. I love reading mm-hmm. um, and, you know, there is just a, a wealth of of literature out there on pretty much everything. Um, and if you're not into reading then audiobooks is a wonderful thing. Sure. and as the saying goes leaders are readers uh, yep. and we don't have to experience firsthand all the mistakes that have already been experienced before us we can yep. we can read about them um, and then apply the lessons learned. Um, so that's that's definitely one of them. Uh, the work I've done with Directorate of Navy Culture and being immersed in the world of leadership and people and culture and and you know, getting in front of Navy people and working with Navy people to make Navy culture the best it can be has has been amazing for my own leadership journey and as a resource. So not everyone has that opportunity, of course, but, yeah. you know, what, one of the best ways to learn is to is to get stuck in and do, and, and sometimes the deep end is the best place to learn. So if there are initiatives out there, that you, culture initiatives, people initiatives, leadership initiatives that you can get into or even start... Then, then jump in there because then you're forced to learn yeah. largely um, to to make to make it work. Um, and and uh, I guess one of the other resources for me is is exercise. Um, <laughs> healthy body, healthy mind. The body is designed to move, and when it doesn't, everything gets sluggish. Wow. Um, and and you know, largely <laughs> for for, mo- for most able-bodied people, exercise is is readily and freely available. And it's a great opportunity to clear your mind and 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 get a, get off the rat race and well, out of the, off the busy train, um, and actually spend some time on yourself, and and move your body and, and and feel great as a result. Claire, is there a question I haven't answered? You think I should? I did, that is a good question already. Good. Um, I guess more about I guess the transition into yeah. and out of defence. I suppose yeah. would be would be a good a good. Place to go, yeah. Um, like I said, I separated from from navy the first time in 2015, right. um, and I went straight into active reserve work as a leadership coach uh, because I wanted to keep to keep serving in some capacity, and I wanted to do service or, or render service that um, was beneficial to the organization and beneficial to me. I didn't kind of want to just sit in a dark corner somewhere gathering dust, writing policy or something like that. I, I wanted to do something that would give back making a contribution is very important to me so so being a Navy leadership coach I felt that I could really I could really do that um, really help Navy people be their best and and therefore improve the Navy overall um and you know so I, I managed to stay attached to the Navy and in fact I've, I've had 18 years of active service so it's never been I've never really been not <laughs> a member of the Navy as an adult when it came to 2020 and I, I Came back on a full time contract, kind of felt comfortable. My husband messaged me my first day, my first day back, and he said, "Oh, how does it feel?" And I said, "You know, like putting on a comfy set of gloves. It just feels mm-hmm. normal. It feels yes. like you know, easy coming home." Yes. Um, and so that, that you know that which was a lovely experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did two more years of of full time service, and then I I transferred back to to part time reserves and started a career with with Deloitte. <laughs> um, so you know when I think about leaving full-time service and I've done it twice, leaving the first time like I said before, I had no plan and sort of flew by the seat of my pants, which was what I needed to do at the time. but leaving the second time, I had probably what would be considered a much more sensible plan. Um, and I, I transferred by straight to Deloitte. So effectively I, I know one week I walked out of uniform and the next week I was in corporate attire. Of which I had none at the time, so had to go shopping. <laughs> what a shame! Um, and uh, and walked into the Deloitte office in in Canberra, uh-huh. and um, thought, okay, well, let's let's peek behind this curtain and and kind of see what adventure might await me here.
1: Uh-huh.
0: And uh, it, I found I found the transition quite quite easy, and I think yeah. because I'd already done it once, yeah. um, and I think because I went from, I guess to put it this way. I went from one institution to another and so okay. I was I was still very much secure and being looked after and and had a chain of command and had a team and had a job description and had a desk and all of that sort of stuff um whereas when I left the first time I literally had nothing um so so moving into the corporate world you know was was really interesting and I expected it to be quite different for me on a values level okay. um having um I'm very service oriented, uh, as a lot of people in the defense force are. And uh-huh. so, to move into you know, the private sector and, and it be so profit driven, I knew that was going to be probably the biggest thing I'd have to get my head around. Yes. Um, just understanding, understanding how that works. <laughs> but I found that my uh, Navy experience held me in excellent stead in the corporate world because we are, and this is not just Navy, just de- defense, we are trained. To get in and get on with it, and to do our best, and to ask if we don't know. Yeah. Uh, to collaborate well with people quickly. <laughs> to to be able to talk to people well and understand people's problems and what they need, and then be able to deliver on that, which is the world but, of consulting. And so I found that transition really quite smooth.
1: Yeah, it it goes to that point I guess is that um, the preparation is useful and. Also understanding your own value um, and what it is that you bring and and the value of, of the career that you've had in the military. Um, when you were talking before, what came up for me was sort of thinking, like, we're we used to getting a job and we're used to then committing to getting it done and we'll get it done. We're not going to make excuses. We will, we will find a way to make it work to get the job done.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and I think that, that came into I guess that really came to the fore for me uh, earlier this year when I was involved with what's called the Screen Warriors Program associated with the Veterans Film Festival, Mm. um, which is uh, basically a a brand-new program designed to facilitate the transfer of people from defence into the film and television industry. Yeah, wow. Um, Recognising that there are a bunch of transferable skills that we have as defence members that that can slot straight in to the film industry. Yeah. Um, And... Earlier this year, myself and twelve others went to the Australian Film and Film Television and Radio School, Afters, up in Sydney. And we spent two days there just learning about the film industry and, and different roles and and what opportunities there might be there for, for us and what roles would, would suit us based on those transferable skills. Oh. And um, in the afternoon we, we went into the, the afters, one of their studios, and we were given a, a one page scene and we were all given a role. Um, that you would have on set and we just had to make this scene happen yeah, and right. we had sort of two hours or something and uh, so I was a camera operator all of a sudden and uh, I'd never been literally behind a camera before and we had you know one of one someone was the director and someone was the assistant director and the actors and we had costume department and props and sound and everything and and, and the 13 of us just sort of slotted into this this little world and at the end of two hours we'd, we'd filmed a scene and we thought oh, that was pretty good. And uh, the chap that was that was facilitating this sort of gathered us around and said that was quite amazing to watch. Mm. I don't think I've ever seen thirteen strangers come together and achieve something like that so quickly. Yeah. And uh, we well, you know we, we 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 discussed it later. And it's like well that's that's kind of what we're trained to do. Yes. None of us had met each other that morning, and yet that mm-hmm. afternoon it was like here's your script. Yeah. Here's your task. Yeah. Get it done two hours ago. And we said, okay. And everyone just jumped in. And it didn't matter what the role, the, the role that you got, whether it was a prestigious role or not, you got the role you got and you just made it happen. And you know a lot of lot of comments from the after staff that, oh, that's, that will just hold you in such good stead in the film industry. And that's exactly what the industry needs and et cetera, et cetera. So that was super exciting yeah. for that context. And I remember being on set one of the times back in 2016, I was doing what they call a stand-in role. And literally- <laughs> they have someone who kind of looks like an actor in the show yep. literally stand in the spot the actor's going to be in when they when they're actually shooting a scene
1: uh-huh. but they
0: have the stand in there so the actor can go and rest while everybody else moves cameras and moves lights and sets up the scene and so as the stand in and this was for um, HBO's the leftovers right you remember that show so big big budget production and uh I'm standing there in this room, and I've got the director of the show and the producer having a conversation on one side of me. I've got uh, Justin Throw, the actor sort of sitting around ordering his lunch. I've got you know the crew redressing the set and changing the lights and organizing the cameras and this world was just getting built around me as I sort of meekly stood there and just tried to take in as much as possible and I had this thought I just thought this is this is a warship <laughs> this operates exactly like a warship. Yeah. You know, you, you've, the director has the vision and they're, they're the CEO. Um, you've got your various departments. So, your know, logistics department is, you know, it's doing makeup and costume and, and food and, and, and whatever else. And you've got engineering is doing sort of the technical stuff and lighting and cameras and all that sort of stuff. And you've got the stunties are kind of like the divers, you know, they do the cool stuff and, you know, muscle bosons as the saying goes. And then you've got the, the actors who are like the flight crew who swan in, <laughs> Do the really fun job, make it look great. And everyone goes, oh, that's amazing. Swan out again. Uh, yeah. and, and kind of get all the credit at the end of the day. No, I, I, I jest, but it, it really, for me, I just stood there and thought, oh my goodness, this feels so comfortable yeah. because everyone is, you know, lots of different freelancers, but all coming together on this one project. Everyone's great at what they do. Everyone understands the direction they're going. Everyone gets stuck in and does the job and does it well and collaborates yes. well. And then at the end of the production. They'll all get posted to different places and work on different projects, and maybe yeah. they'll be back on the same show in ten years' time and reminisce about the good old days. Mm-hmm. Ah, so that is exactly what we do in in defence. Yeah. Um. So it's really just this amazing moment of, oh, this is this is comfortable and this feels this feels like a really good fit. Yeah. Um, which was a really nice moment.
1: And what I'm appreciating is the fact that in those teams, whether it be on a film set or in a warship or in a army battalion or in a squadron. Is that we just appreciate the jobs that other people do because it actually takes a team effort. It doesn't matter whether you're the one with the rifle or one making sure the post gets in. It's mm. it, it's a team effort.
0: Oh, absolutely. And yeah. and you know, it's if one person doesn't do their thing, mm. everybody else feels it. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah. And and collaboration, I guess, is one of the mo- the one of the other big things I've learned from my my acting experience because we have to collaborate. Um, so strongly, whether that be on set with all the other people or just, you know, an acting ensemble. Uh, if you don't, the, 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 the story doesn't get told. Yeah. Um, you know, it just doesn't happen. if yeah. People aren't all collaborating and collaborating effectively yeah. uh, and pulling in the same direction.
1: Yeah, I have loved this conversation. Me too. Yeah. We're going to wrap up with some rapid-fire questions. I reckon there's some probably topics we might come back. We'll discuss whether there's... Something we need to take a deeper dive into. But um, the rapid fire questions, if you could fill in the blank, that would be amazing. First question is leadership
0: is blank? Leadership is putting yourself out of a job by by growing future leaders. Yeah, wow. Yeah, that's cool. I love that.
1: Um, What's your go-to book on leadership?
0: Uh, Again, so many, uh, but Um, I do love Dare to Lead by Brene Brown.
1: Yeah, Because it goes into
0: vulnerability and and values and understanding what really What really makes you, you?
1: It's a really contemporary book, really useful for leaders today.
0: Hmm.
1: Probably one we will wish we'd read a long time ago or she'd written
0: a long time ago. (laughs) Yeah, come on, (laughs) Brene.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, I wish I'd known Blank earlier in my career.
0: Yeah, this was a really interesting one to reflect on. Um, I recently read a book called Essentialism by uh, Jeff McEwen. I recommend it to anybody. And one of the things I learned from reading that is that I suffered from learned helplessness, but not in a way that I understood. Um, It wasn't a learned helplessness by believing I couldn't do something and therefore never trying. There was a learned helplessness of believing that I could do it all and that I had to do it all and that I could fit just one more thing in Mm. and therefore actually be completely ineffective.
1: Yeah, right. Um,
0: As an overachiever and as someone who loves variety and loves adventure, I'm terrible at saying no.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I just go, yeah, I can fit that in. I can do that one more thing. And it's at the expense of doing things well. Oh. And so uh, what this essentialism concept is all about is less but better. Yes. And that would have been really good
1: <laughs> yes. to know earlier. Well, I'm appreciating what you've just shared there, and I think I'm going to have to go find that book. Uh, you get it's a call from good. a team member, a crisis just erupted in your company, your organization. What are your first words to that person?
0: Are you okay? Yeah. Is everybody else okay? Yeah. 10 fingers, yeah. 10 toes. Yes. Um, you know, it, it's what, you know, I really understanding what constitutes a bad day. Uh-huh. If everyone's okay, mm. then okay, well, let's work through it.
1: Yeah. And lastly, the go-to quote on leadership that has had some influence on you or on leadership.
0: Uh, well, well, quoting the the great philosopher Aaron Sorkin from one of my um, favorite shows The West Wing. Uh-huh. And it goes, you know what they call a leader without followers, just a guy taking a walk. (laughs) That's good. And uh, of course, this was 20 years ago. Now we'd say just a person taking a walk. Mm. Um, But I believe, you know, I think it's a paraphrase from a John C. Maxwell quote, but that idea of Uh a leader without followers is just a person taking a walk has uh, stayed with me for a long time. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Claire, it has been awesome. Thank you so much for giving up your time today to be on the podcast. Um, Can't wait for some further conversations. We definitely need to catch up face-to-face and uh, share some of that wine from the morning to Peninsula and, and, and share more conversation. So thank you.
0: No, thank you, Martin. It's been an absolute pleasure.
1: Thank you for joining us on this episode of Frontline to Boardroom. So grateful that you could be with us. For more on how you can step up to leadership every day, be sure to visit us at martinbrooker.com, where you can subscribe to the show to be notified every time an episode drops. And if you found value in this episode, we'd love it if you'd share it with a friend. Looking forward to being here with you next week. And remember, sometimes you need to drive it like you stole it.